and you get to step one and you realize, oh yes, but this also needs ink work over here. I need to splatter some acrylic paint in this direction. And you have to be kind of willing to let it evolve to a certain extent. Yeah. Even if you have an end result goal. Hey Islanders and welcome to episode 149 of the Camino Voice. Today I speak with the featured artist of the month for the August. Please welcome Amy Slater. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kameno Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And I am back from my vacation, so I think, uh, I mean, I just posted a, I posted an episode last week, um, but that one was pre-set up before my vacation, so this is my official day back from vacation, or official recording since then. Um, so anyways, um, <clears throat> had a great time, uh, fun time going down the coast with the family, and um, yeah, they, they had a good time. Uh, Nice weather. I mean, nice for Oregon coast, which just means it's sunny. Still cold, but sunny. Um, but usually it's overcast, so, you know, we'll take that. Um, yeah, so that was my, my week. I uh, hope your week is going well. Um, yeah, I just want to... Uh, okay, so today I am interviewing... Yeah, I'm all over the place today. First day back, so, you know, give me some grace there. Um, so uh, today I interview the Featured Artist of the Month for August of 2022, the Featured Artist in the Loft um, upstairs in the Marketplace. Um, so be sure to stop by before August, uh, the third week in August, because that's when her stuff will be being taken down. But I uh, got to interview her. She tries and does a lot of different forms of uh, like mediums, uh, including acrylic, watercolor. She's played around with oil and stuff like that, but in her current setup, uh, she doesn't have her own studio um, uh, location, so she can't do things like oil painting on a regular basis, though she said she really enjoys it. Um, so most of her colors are um, acrylic and watercolor. Um, and uh, she actually has her stuff up now, and so be sure to come and check it out. Uh, her pieces that she brought into the loft are incredible. They're really... Um, I don't know, they just, I, when they showed up, I was like, wow, those were really cool. So um, be sure to come and check those out. Um, but yeah, we get into her story, her background of how she got started in art um, and how she's gotten to where she is now. Um, she does have a website, but right now she currently just has a DeviantArt. Um, so I will link that in the comments. So be sure to check that out, uh, to check out her art. And um, yeah, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Amy Slater. Hey Islanders and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice. Today I'm here with the featured artist of the month for August. Welcome to the podcast, Amy Slater. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Amy. Well, um, I've pretty much been into art my whole life. I was really lucky to have a family with very supportive parents who were interested in helping me pursue that. Uh, it really picked up probably when I was in high school and college, and a lot of my work has just been kind of figuring out what is out there and what I think about it. Okay. Very cool. So where did you grow up? 
all over the Midwest, really, mostly in locations around Cincinnati and also around Atlanta. Okay. So, no, my dad wasn't in the Army. We just happened to move around a lot. <laughs> but uh, it was really good because I got a lot of looks at just different locations and different groups of people yeah. and different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, how long were you in kind of diff- your different areas? Of different areas up, of oh, growing up. Location wise yeah. and geographically. Uh, I was really lucky where it broke down pretty much where I was switching schools right at the end of grade school, right at the end of middle school, right at the end of high school. I have younger siblings who were not so fortunate in how that broke down. Uh, So moving in the middle of grade school and so on was a little difficult on some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you said in the beginning then you kind of had an affinity towards art. What kind of started that? I don't know if it was any one particular thing that started it. I've always loved getting my hands messy and getting into all the finger paints and the clay and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was very fortunate in that all the public schools I was in had art programs, very supportive art programs. Mm -hmm. And then I was also in, it's called Baker Hunt Academy in Cincinnati. It's a nonprofit organization that uh, they're a foundation that does art classes specifically for kids. Okay. And they give kids just kind of a look at different media. Mm-hmm. So I was probably seven, eight, nine years old working in ceramics, able to break out both watercolors and acrylics, oil pastels, chalk pastels, and just some of everything and play around with it and make a mess without the expectation of having a grade come out of it. <laughs> Very cool. So what was that, um, I don't know if you remember back then, but what were the things that kind of, that you really were drawn to as you were trying all these different mediums? There were a couple of things where we had to provide an image that we were going to base like a painting or a drawing off of. Uh, I was probably a little overly ambitious even then about some things. I came (laughs) in with an underwater picture of a sea anemone. Okay. And we were doing watercolors for that series of weeks. And for a little eight or nine-year-old <laughs> trying to paint a sea anemone with all those <laughs> little tentacles, that was a challenge. And wow. uh, I had a teacher that you know helped me, this is what we do, this is how we break it down. And yes, you bit off probably more than you could reasonably chew, but here's how we're going to make that work. Nice. Very cool. So how did that... Uh, you ended up finishing out the project? And yeah, I finished out the project. It probably got tossed sometime between moving houses, but um, it gave me a little bit of a love-hate relationship with watercolor where, <laughs> yes, you may have an image in your head and that may work out with the end result or you may need to change some things. Very cool. So then um, uh, did you continue to really... Uh, hone in on art when it came to middle school, high school, and all those? Uh, High school is probably when I really started to dive into it. I got sick right around ninth grade. Uh, They finally diagnosed me with some thyroid issues, which was interesting, but it gave me a lot of information. I learned how to do a lot of research. Yeah. And being sick, you know, in bed and figuring out, well, what classes can I take to make up a passing GPA? Yeah. Drawing was definitely one of them, mm-hmm. and uh, I had some teachers that were willing to work with me and let me get back on my feet and use that, and so I kind of grasped onto that with both hands and yep. got through it with using that as a tool. Okay. Nice. So were you, like, um, 
like bedridden during that time? For some of it, yeah. Okay. Um, thyroid issues are really honestly very underdiagnosed. Okay. And there's a whole spectrum as far as how serious they can hit. Yeah. I was not one of the lucky ones in that it was a mild case. And so I was in bed probably for about two months. Uh, one of my doctors compared it to getting mono and never getting better. Okay. But uh, you find a good doctor, you work with them, and you get back on your feet and you sort of re-enter society. Yeah, and then you have to kind of learn to adjust to the level that you're able to hit then physically. And And a lot of it is learning about the kinds of blood work that are out there, the kinds that are used to diagnose things, Mm -hmm. uh, what medication tools are out there, and also what naturopathic options are out there and how you combine those to become the most functioning version of yourself. Yeah. Do you feel like that helped you as you continued in the art career of like your Definitely. ability to research and dive into stuff? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. That was a hugely formative part of that. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it is learning as you research. It's not even just diving into research. It's how to identify sources, how to yeah. find the, not necessarily legitimacy, but how do you know that this particular article is done by somebody who has background in what they're talking about and not somebody who read a few articles of their own and put together some good writing. Yeah. So it has become a useful tool for me. Yeah. It's one of those things where you find the blessings in every little aspect of life and you learn how to take good things from it. Yeah. Very cool. So then uh, as you were getting ready to graduate high school, did you end up going on to college or what did you kind of do? Yes. I ended up getting a BFA from Brigham Young University. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once upon a time, I wanted to be an animator and go on and work for Disney. And then Disney ended up firing a lot of their traditional animation departments. Uh, But fortunately, that was right around the time that I got to the particular school. I was taking some animation classes to get my feet wet, and I realized I probably didn't want to do that many hours of that particular job for that much of my life. It's still a very interesting thing, and I like it a lot, but not necessarily something that I would want to do a whole career with yeah. personally. And is that, when you talk about animation, are you talking about the hand-drawn yes, each, the step-by-step-by-step? Like step step? hand-drawn, the older kind of, uh, Don Bluth was a big influence for me. Um, so the computer animated stuff is great. I love it. And I've got some friends who are very into it and make some amazing art with it. Yeah. Uh, but it is definitely a different medium. Yes. And I think for a lot of it, depending on the story you're telling, depending on the tone, there are some where hand-drawn animation is going to create a much better end-result piece of art than CGI and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Some things just really call for a particular medium. Yeah. I always remember watching, like, the old Disney videos where they talked about, like, when we were making this, you know, and they show the pictures of just these board after board of, like, each step along the way that they had to draw. Exactly. And I'm like, that's so much work. (laughs) It is. And it's something like 100 frames per second if you're wanting something very rough. And the smoother you want something to move, the more frames you have to have per second. And so it's a very intense level of work. Yeah. Very cool. What what had drawn you to that kind of um, at first? Uh, At first, you know, I I grew up loving cartoons. in our house, that was a, definitely an art format. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, was my parents looking for child-friendly media. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 
finding a lot of that in Disney and some of the more independent animation studios and that it just looked like a ton of fun to me and I think it is a lot of fun it's just not quite what I would want to be spending such a large percentage of my time doing yeah for the work versus the result balance yeah yeah (laughs) nice so what did what did you kind of pivot to as you were looking into that then I ended up going into uh, a little bit of graphic design and looking into that, which was also extra interesting. I worked with the marketing department at BYU for their campus advertising for a while, and that let me get my feet wet in that way. Okay. Uh, And then I ended up just kind of diving headfirst into studio art. Okay. And that was where I ended up getting my degree. Okay. Nice. What do they, uh, when when you're doing a, uh, a degree in that, are they teaching you, like, kind of all the aspects of that or really just focusing in on, like, honing a certain craft? Or, or what does that look like? It depends on how focused you want to get. Uh, like, they'll do a, a BFA will have a concentration in painting, which is what I got, or a concentration in drawing. And so you can definitely specialize. Okay. Uh, but the professors that I worked with were very encouraging of specializing in a wide, the widest variety possible, basically. Mm-hmm. So I would say my most useful year to me as an artist was the semester where I was taking figure sculpture and figure drawing okay. at the same time, and you're just seeing the same kind of form in very different aspects of yeah. it. And you're using different parts of your brain in a way that your brain links to your hands and kind of catching up as far as making your hands do what your eye sees. Yeah. So you can keep your focus as wide as you want. Uh, at the end of the day, for your final project, you do have to specialize to some degree. <laughs> yep. Okay. So then um, after you graduated then, what was your first kind of career? I was into custom framing at that point. Okay. Uh, I had taken a semester off right before my final year just to get tuition money back together. Yes. Uh, and I got into custom picture framing, okay. which was great to add to my little uh, toolbox, so to speak, of skills that I could bring to my own art. Because presentation, as those art professors will tell you, is a big part yeah. of what makes a finished product. Yep. And so learning how to mat to an archival standard, what kinds of glass were out there, why you want particular kinds of glass, how do you put a frame together, that was very helpful for me personally. Yeah. Uh, But as I came back from my final year of school, uh, the frame shop where I was originally going to come back to, uh, they went out of business. And so I was bouncing around and looking for different things. So I moved from custom framing to some office jobs. uh, And then I ended up in the veterinary field, actually. Okay. So various customer service things. And then the veterinary field has been where I've been for about the past 10 years. Okay. And I'm slowly moving over to uh, a paint and sip studio. Okay. So some of everything. Yes. Very cool. So then... um, you graduated and you've been doing some work on the vet side. Yes. During that whole time, were you also continuing your art then? Some of it. Uh, I think all artists go through a little bit of burnout. Mine hit yeah. pretty hard. Uh, I did manage to bounce back. I um, I started probably a year or so into the veterinary field. Uh, I started doing watercolor studies on my lunch break. 
Um, okay. Mostly because you're working a different set of hours. You work four days, 10-hour shifts, you know, plus about an hour for lunch. And that gave me enough time to get out, go somewhere physically where I could paint from life and just have a quick watercolor sketch yeah. at the end of the day. And I had something that was art-related that I did with my day. Yeah. And it just kind of snowballed from there where um, I was doing locations around Seattle. I was doing pet portraits. And then I got a little bit more motivated to get back into the studio. Okay. <laughs> that kind of took off. Nice. So did you set up your own home studio then? About half my living room is dedicated to me making a mess. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So when you started diving back into this then, uh, what was the medium? What were the kind of styles you were going for? I don't know that there was a particular style so much as anything that I could do in a rented location that was going to have relatively easy cleanup yep. uh, and that was portable. And so that kind of took oil painting off the table, which yep. is sad because I love oil painting. There's beautiful work out there with it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not in a situation where I can do that right now with my yeah. studio. So watercolor, acrylics, inks, basically anything water soluble. Okay. Uh, I do have a cat that likes to drink paint water oh, and will no. occasionally walk <laughs> across the palette. And so you look at the carpet and you realize there's little footprints everywhere and it's time to get those out. All right. So of the ones that you're, you're kind of able to do in your current uh, constraints then, what are your main mediums you end up using then? Probably a mix of acrylic and watercolor. Okay. I, uh, it kind of depends on the direction the piece is going. Uh, if I'm looking for something a little more realistic, I tend to gravitate towards strictly watercolor or strictly acrylic. Okay. Uh, but if I'm going for something a little more abstract or surreal-like, then I tend to use a little bit of everything. Okay. Nice. And do you layer those in the painting then, or are there certain areas that you kind of keep to the one or the other? I'll usually start out with a plan, and it evolves from there. Yeah. And so I may start out thinking I'm going to have an acrylic background. This is going to be collaged in with some watercolor, and then we'll do some ink work on top of it. And you get to step one, and you realize, oh, yes, but this also needs ink work over here. I need to splatter some acrylic paint in this direction. And you have to be kind of willing to let it evolve to a certain extent. Yeah. Even if you have an end result goal. Okay. Um, and you mentioned uh, ink. What is ink versus, is that like pen ink or what's that? Yes, uh, India inks. Okay. They, uh, they come with a variety of uh, options, but the ones I use tend to be the ones that are waterproof. And so I can wet those down to however diluted I want. And you can get some very delicate washes with those. Okay. The benefit is that if you're using a waterproof ink, once you lay it down and it's dried, you can layer over it again and again, however many times you want. Okay. Very similar to acrylics. Yeah. If you're using a water-soluble ink, it becomes very much like watercolor, where once you layer over it a certain number of times, it starts to become very muddy and okay. break down, and you may want it to be muddy for a certain reason, but most of the time you probably don't. Okay. And so you may have to do something with it that's different at that point to get back to wherever you were originally heading with it. Okay. And um, with, with blending of acrylic and watercolor, does watercolor paint over acrylic pretty easily or does it 
Not really. It okay. Um, it depends how much of the actual paper texture is still left. Like if okay. you're doing a very thin wash of acrylic paint, acrylic paint is basically plastic. Yes, yeah. And so the watercolor pigment that is used, that's the straight pigment. So, for example, yellow ochre. If you, you know, get yellow ochre dirt and you mix it with gum arabic and you let that dry, then you have a little watercolor cake of... Uh, raw, yellow ochre. Okay. I started to say raw sienna, but it would be yellow ochre. <laughs> uh, if you were to wet that down and layer yellow ochre on top of yellow ochre, then it reaches a saturation point okay. where you can't really make it more intense. Okay. Um, and it starts to break down paper and do some not so fun things with that. But if you were to use acrylic that has plastic in it, yep. and so you put it down. And once that paint has covered the paper, it becomes actually waterproof to a certain extent. Yes. And you can layer on top of that. You can do more things with ink, with marker, with pens, and you can get a certain mixed media effect on that. Okay. But if you want to bring, a, or excuse me, watercolor back on top of that, you would need to collage some paper back on. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And do you have, um, with working with other artists, do you ha know many artists that, that blend it to that degree? To that degree in painting, not locally. Um, Diane Sar does some very interesting things with maps and inks and paints. And so uh, the mixed media around here tends to be more collage focused okay. rather than mixing the actual paint. Yeah. Uh, we do have some and their names are escaping me. And so there's lots of different directions yeah. that people go. Yeah. Very cool. What kind of led you to start doing this and experimenting with this stuff? A lot of it was finding ways to duplicate things that I was looking into. Uh, I got really into marbling paper for a while. Okay. And it's still a lot of fun. But uh, when you start looking at what they were doing in ancient Turkey versus ancient Japan versus some other locations, uh, for example, the Middle East, when they were marbling paper, they were using uh, a thickener of seaweed, and they were putting oil-based inks down on top of this to kind of float the pigment. Okay. And almost taking monoprints of that. Whereas if you're looking at some of the more Asian influence, they're looking at things that aren't quite as uh, water-insoluble, where yeah. they're mixing with the water a little bit more, and the ink isn't necessarily uh, waterproof. And so finding what I could do on a student budget <laughs> that would lead to some similar results was definitely a little bit of a mad scientist adventure. Okay. And I just, I found that it was a lot of fun to break out what supplies I had and make a mess and see what I could create. Okay. Very cool. And so how has that kind of shaped, uh, you said you kind of do a mix of both uh, real life and abstract. Mm. Yes. Um, what do you kind of what kind of helps you decide what you're what way you're going to go with a certain painting or uh, just in general? Some of it is just what, I, what I'm in the mood for. Uh -huh. <laughs> Some of it is also uh, is this for a particular location? Is this for a particular theme? If I'm doing a pet portrait, I am probably going to go a little bit more realistic yes. because that's the goal for a lot of the clients. <laughs> Uh, they want Fluffy to be recognizable. <laughs> I think you should try an abstract one and just give it to them and see what they do. Oh, my. <laughs> that could go very well or very badly. 
Uh, but <laughs> no, most of the time they want it to be recognizable as their pet or the reference photo they provided. Uh, a lot of it is also, do I have a particular kind of theme in mind? Yeah. Am I wanting to get an exploration of uh, apple blossoms, for example, as a painting that was recently up at the Gilded Gallery? It's more realistic than what I would do with a lot of my mixed media. It's still very impressionistic. Um, but something like uh, the, see, the tomatillos and the rabbits and the goldfish that I did in a different painting, I would start with a background uh, with whatever colors I was interested in working with. Mm -hmm. uh, once I finished the background on that and I got the texture the way that I liked, I had the colors balanced the way that I wanted, I was looking at those and I was thinking, you know, that the lighting on this, there's this particular way that the light shines off the tomatillos in this particular garden. Let's put some tomatillos in there. Okay. And once that happened, it needed something else. It wasn't quite finished yet compositionally. Yeah. And I stuck some Blackmore goldfish in there. Okay. And then there was a big empty spot at the bottom and I struggled to find out what am I going to do with that spot? Something large obviously needs to go in here. And uh, this was a particular year that there were a lot of rabbits running around. And I was seeing a rabbit every day for a good week. And I okay. finally decided, let's toss one of those in there. <laughs> and that all came together and the painting was finished. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. And so, like, I definitely feel like when it comes to art, like, it's this, each painting is a journey in and of itself of kind yes. of... Um, and I think that is maybe why I struggle with it. Like, I'm not an artist by any means when it comes to drawing or painting. Um, but I think the idea that, like, you have this idea in mind and then it, it has to evolve over time. Yes, letting go of that idea that you have something in your brain, you have a finished product that you can see in your head, and being able to let go of it and realize that maybe this is going to evolve in a different direction, I think that is definitely a learned skill for a lot of us. Yeah, very cool. How how do you feel, I guess, I mean, you're talking about your life experience, you've had to do that a lot in your life. Do you feel like that kind of helped you in that as well? I think it's definitely something that's helped, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then and when I teach at a paint and sip studio, we have Bob Ross nights uh, where we have our happy accidents and happy little trees. Nice. And being able to do that and steer people in different directions, there are certain things that come out in various aspects of you know, one job that you might have that you can apply to different areas in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, um, so you said you, you've been started doing sip and paints at your studio then. Uh, uh, it's not in my studio personally. Oh, okay. It's at a studio in Kirkland. It's okay. uh, owned by Canvas. Uh, and they have a series of paintings that they do. And the idea is that you go in and you help people who are coming from all skill levels where they got dragged along on a date and they're a professional <laughs> artist or they haven't picked up a brush since kindergarten. And the idea is that you kind of guide them through the painting yeah. and they end up with something that is recognizably similar to the end results. Okay. How did you get started on that? That was uh, mostly a side gig. You have to kind of find all kinds of fun things to make rent at certain points. Uh, my sister was actually working for a paint and sip studio and they were hiring and she brought it to my attention and it was a lot of fun and it just snowballed from there. Okay. Nice. So how often do you have the sip and paints then? Those are, let's see, the studio does them Wednesday through Sunday. I'm usually teaching about two of those per week. Okay. 
Awesome. And um, we'll get a link to your sip and paints. That way, sure. if people are interested and want to check those out, they can. Great. Um, awesome. So what do you feel? Um, so because you work with so many different mediums and stuff, do you feel like you learn something new, whether it's about art um, or aspects when you work with each of the different mediums? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's an artist, Ursula Burdenen, does children's books and okay. her own illustration. Uh, she's got a comic book. Uh, she was nominated for a Hugo. Very talented. Uh, but one of the most influential things for me that she put out was something on her blog that you can't be afraid to make bad art. Okay. And so you approach it with the idea that Yes, you have an end result in mind. Yes, you're going to let it evolve. But sometimes that is going to crash and burn. Yes. And you just have to accept that. You learn what you can from it, and you move on to the next thing. And you let yourself make bad art. Yeah. What do you feel each medium helps you learn? Uh, I think you learn different things about a lot of colors and how they interact Mm -hmm. uh, in each medium. And each kind of paint is going to handle it differently whether it's uh, glazing for acrylics, whether you're glazing in watercolor, those are going to handle differently. Okay. Uh, Different techniques will have different results in each medium, and you can't come to a watercolor painting with the idea that you're going to pile the paint on there really thick. Yeah. Like you would in a more impasto acrylic painting or an an oil painting. Yep. Uh, You just, you have to have a different mindset when you come to it. Yeah. And so depending on, you know, what your day has been like, what your goals have been, uh, you may find yourself reaching for one or the other. And I've also found that if you're struggling with um, getting the idea of a finished painting from one particular medium, Mm -hmm. if I'm working on a watercolor painting, it's just not happening the way I want, it's time to take a break, it's time to break out the acrylic paints, and it's time to do something different. Okay. And you sort of reset your, both your brain, your eye, and your hand, and you come back to it with a bit of fresh perspective. Yeah. And usually you can identify whatever was tripping you up beforehand, whatever block you were having. Yeah. And sort of work your way around what was causing the problem. Okay. Well, that actually made me think of, um, if because you're working with different mediums, are, do you ever get to a point in a painting where you realize, like, I <laughs> almost wish I had done this in maybe yes. acrylic so I could layer... <laughs> A certain way or... Yes, and uh, yeah, you either find a way around it or sometimes you go back and you do something similar in a different medium. Okay. So if you're painting a barn in uh, acrylic and you realize that I wish I had done this differently, (laughs) great, let's finish the painting to the extent that you can and come back and do it in watercolor. (laughs) Nice. Very cool. So then... um, when did you actually start, like, selling your art and, like, going to different studios, you know, trying to get yeah. in different studios and stuff? Um, COVID was definitely a little bit of a watershed moment for me just because there were more availability, uh, more opportunities, I should say, that were online yeah. and purely digital. Okay. So as different galleries were looking at how do we continue art shows with the pandemic, yeah. how do we continue to put art out there and make it visible to the public... Uh, a little bit more of the digital came into play where they were doing art shows that were completely online. You mm-hmm. weren't going to a brick and mortar gallery. Yeah. And so I was able to submit to more of those uh, around my work schedule. Okay. Uh, and not have to worry about shipping a painting. Yes. Or yeah. um, how do I get this to this location, not only in one piece, but by the deadline. Yeah. 
So if you're shipping to something on the East Coast from the West Coast, yeah. that really starts to affect what you're willing to apply to. Yeah. Uh, particularly with gas prices the way they are. Right. We all know. Uh, but I was able to do more digital. And because of that, I was able to get my name out there in a little bit more locations. I was able to build a little bit more of a network and just kind of get a little more involved in various okay. places. Yeah. And did you have, um, did you already have the equipment or did you find a place that was able to do the photography of that? Because like, obviously you can't just take a picture and be like, all right, here's my art. Well, you're going to laugh because that's exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> yes. uh, no, for me, uh, photography, I struggle with that from a standpoint of tools mm -hmm. because as much as I would love to buy the top of the line camera. Right. Photography isn't enough of a passion for me to do that at this point. Yeah. And yes, I know people who have the, those tools, but yeah. uh, making sure that everybody is in the same location, is it a time that works for everybody? Can I haul my art out there or can I get them to my location? Yeah. So honestly, when you get the right cell phone and you get a good quality camera yeah. and you take the pictures in a setup where the lighting is good, yeah. you have it set up where you're going to be able to take it without glass in the way. It's on a white background and it's got the kind of reflective tools that you need for the lighting. Yeah. Uh, a lot of my work has been photographed with a cell phone. That's awesome. <laughs> I feel like a fraud saying that, but it is very true. Yeah. And so when you did that, when you would submit your work and stuff like that, did it come through perfectly fine as far it as did. for what they needed? Yeah. You, uh, you definitely need to experiment with the settings on your camera. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to look at what they're requiring. So some of them have a pixelation requirement yep. or they have a megabyte requirement if you're sending in a digital file. And so becoming literate with the terminology is yeah. a big part of anything. Yep. So uh, figuring out what to do with that is important. And again, just experimenting, diving in, and take a whole bunch of pictures. You email them to yourself. You see what turns out, what needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. You realize that, you know, the lighting is coming off this paint in a really horrible way. <laughs> I need to set this up differently. Yeah. And then you find a way to do it. Nice. Cool. So then in through that and kind of doing these digital shows, mm. um, did you start selling art through them? And, and if you did, how did that work? Because then you are shipping and you're yes, learning all that. Yes, you are shipping. Uh, there was one gallery in Connecticut uh, where a client had purchased the painting from the gallery without ever having seen the painting in person. You send in the specs where, yes, you sign off that this is a visually accurate representation of your work. It's done with this medium. It's on you know, a panel or a canvas. Yeah. This many inches. Here's the size dimension. Uh, but they purchase it. And depending on what the gallery setup is, shipping may or may not be included in the okay. final price. And so being familiar with what the gallery specs are is also important. Yeah. Uh, but then once the client has purchased it, um, the ones I've done, a lot of the time, shipping is expected to be an addition okay. to the price of painting. Yes. Yeah, because that's going to be expensive if yes. you need to keep it safe and protected. And, you know, depending on how <clears throat> big a thing you set it up and what you submitted, whether it's a little 8 by 10 painting, <laughs> whether it's the giant 24 by 36. Yeah. Uh, and then whether you package that personally, whether you have a professional art um, location, uh, moving company do it, whether you go to UPS, FedEx, post office, yeah. 
uh, and then you ship them the purchased artwork, they've already purchased it through the gallery. And so your part as the artist is basically over at that point. Okay. If there are any disputes or anything, that's what the gallery is there for. Okay. And they handle it. Nice. Very cool. So then after you had done some of these digital shows, um, when things start kind of reopening, did you start looking at that point? That's when you kind of looked locally? Yeah, I was kind of looking into locally as I was doing the same thing uh, with digital shows. Uh, but I got involved with the Gilded Gallery, Stanwood Camino Art Guild. Yeah. Uh, of course, getting into Camino Commons here. Yeah. And uh, Shack Art Center, just seeing oh, nice. what's available. And um, I think a lot of galleries in the area over the past three to five years, they've been having more of an online presence and a little bit more centralized for their called artists. Okay. So you're not digging and frantically researching where can I apply to. Uh, they're starting to talk to each other even more. Yeah. And getting calls to artists in kind of central locations. Okay. So that you can... Uh, Entry Thingy is a tool that the Stanwood Camino Art Guild uses. Yeah. Uh, and if you log on there, I can find locations and calls to artists that are here in Stanwood. Mm -hmm. uh, there might be one in Everett. There might be one down in Oregon. They might be on the opposite coast. They might be international. Okay. And so... Being willing to submit to things and that horrible risk of rejection, it's just <laughs> something that you kind of have to take in stride. Yep. Very cool. So um, with that then, tell me about the pieces that you're bringing to the loft. Well, I'm definitely focusing a little bit more on uh, kind of realistic overall mm -hmm. versus some of the uh, more abstract or surreal pieces that I have. And I'm looking for things that in my uh, work that are a little bit more representational of just kind of the Pacific Northwest in the area. Yeah. Just because I am not a Pacific Northwest native. Uh, yep. Uh, and so finding things that say, you know, Camino to me or that, you know, say Oregon coastline and that yep. kind of thing. And so I've collected a bunch of those in a variety of media. And nice. uh, things that uh, just are a little bit more Pacific Northwest focused and are all going to go together. Nice. Very cool. Well, um, for the listeners, remember, that's going to be for the month of August. That The show actually starts the third week in July, but it goes through um, the first three weeks of August. So be sure to stop in and, and check those out uh, if you haven't. Um, awesome. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Great. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Oh, this is probably really silly, but um, I have a Nalgene water bottle where I'm not somebody who enjoys cleaning plastic straws or sticking those through the dishwasher. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there's a little insert that you can do. It's kind of a splash guard for when you drink. Yes. So that you're not dumping out your water bottle on your face. Yes. But you're also finding that happy medium of not having to clean a straw afterwards. Yes. Very so cool. probably the best $5 I've spent in a while. There we go. All right. Who's the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Oh, that is going to depend on the day. Uh, <laughs> no, I've got a great uh, circle of friends and coworkers um, who I would say are all very influential. Nice. Uh, probably right now, um, that would be one of my friends, Melanie. Uh, she is someone I met at uh, my last job at Michael Teo Veterinary Hospital. She's the okay. office manager there. Uh, and she's been very supportive of helping me get art career stuff off the ground nice. as I'm working there. Yeah, very cool. 
All right, this is a fill in the blank question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Oh, let's see. What ambition do I have that's weird? Uh, probably since I'm not a Seattle native, at some point I would love to just kind of devote a year to traveling around the state and seeing, you know, what are the parks like everywhere? What be a uh, Washington State tourist, so yeah. to speak? Just it's moving around a lot. I hit um, the United States history course every single location I lived. But I always missed out on the state history course. Yeah. And so one of my younger sisters, she would get state history for every location we lived. <laughs> but she never got um, full-on United States history, and I was the opposite. Okay. I ended up getting United States history over and over, but I kind of skipped out on the state history. Yeah. And getting a bit more of a perspective of what's very, very local, I think, could be a great thing. Yeah. Well, and, and Washington's... Uh, Beautiful state. Oh, and uh, it's so it's diverse, just geographically, and such great people. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot to explore, especially if you enjoy the camping and the getting out in nature and all that. Yes. There's some amazing spots. We're in very lucky to have so much of that here. Yes, and then hopefully the weather to come along with it. So, crossing hopefully your fingers. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, who's an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? You know, locally, I would say if you stopped by the Stan McCamino Art Guild, you could probably just work your way down the entire registry. We've got some great people there who just yeah. have so much variety in their life experience. Yep. And, you know, of course, as an artist, I'm coming at this from what artist should you interview next. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I would say anybody in the guild. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Stop worrying about what other people think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I think that is a, as you get past out of your 20s and stuff, that is something that you slowly build on. And you're like, I don't need to care what these other people think. Yes. And there's that fine line between, yes, of course, you want to be kind and respectful and polite of everything. But that does not mean you need to let what somebody else's opinions are influence what your life is. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. All right. And guys, remember to come out and see your art through the month of August, uh, through the third week in August. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Amy Slater for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to tomatocoms.com slash podcast. That's tomatocoms.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening again. See you next time.